Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. And good morning. All right. I love the feedback. I, I will start with a quick admission. I sometimes get hooked on watching YouTube videos. Do you? But not just any videos. You know the ones I get hooked on? I, I get hooked on the ones where a soldier returns home and they're reuniting with their family. Like you've seen these, right? Like a mom who's been on her, uh, who's been deployed. She comes home and she pri- surprises her kid at school. And you see the kid and oh, they run and they hug and have you seen the one where um, there's a, a man who was deployed and um, his, his wife was invited to a baseball game and where she could throw out the first pitch and she didn't know it. He came home early and he was the catcher with a mask on behind the plate. And when he took it off, there's like, ah, and they embraced right there on the field. I love those. Do you love those? You know why? I think because it's this one word that, 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 that I think just encapsulates the whole thing. You can visually see sacrifice. You know that that person who was deployed made a sacrifice, and not just them, but the family of that soldier made a sacrifice. They sacrificed time with their loved one. That soldier actually could have sacrificed their, their they did sacrifice their safety. And uh, I don't know, it's, it, it's that sacrifice that I just love watching. This last Friday, it was Veterans Day, right? I know that we do have some veterans in the room, so um, let's just take a moment. Jesus is always our guest of honor, but I think it means, uh, I think it's important for us to celebrate those that are veterans and also their families because they've made a sacrifice too. So if we have any veterans in the room, I want you to stand up right now. I know there's some in here. I see you, Terry, up there. There's a, I, I do that to salute you, celebrate you, but I also do that for this one reason. We're in this series that Pastor Josh started two weeks ago called Core Sample. And the Core Sample is like when you, when you sample the earth to see how dense it is so that you'll know whether it's safe, whether it will last to build something on top of it. Paul is writing to this church in Colossae to say, I want you to know what you should be building your life on. The gospel is worthy of building your life on. And here's what he's going to say this week. Here's what we're going to talk about. Building sacrifice into our lives. You're like, wow, that's a super encouraging word. It is, isn't it? I just told you I spent hours watching these videos, watching and admiring other people's sacrifice, because I think we actually all love sacrifice. I think it gives meaning to who we are. It it gives us honor, but only under this one condition. We believe that our sacrifice has to actually make a difference. It has to make an impact. So we're going to talk about this today. And today I'm going to make it really easy on you to be able to grasp what the Bible says, because I just want you to remember two things. Here it is. The gospel's so great. That's it. The gospel's so great. That's the first point. Can you remember that? 
See, she got it right there. All right, so when I point at you, you finish the sentence. The gospel's so. The gospel's so. Great, here's, here's the second half of it. Ready? The gospel's so great, it's worthy of our sacrifice. It's worthy of our. The gospel's so. It's worthy of our. The gospel's so great. Balcony, don't let me down. The gospel's so great, it's worthy of our sacrifice. And Pastor Josh, he did such a great job in getting us started for the first two weeks on this. All I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk about chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. It's the closing of the chapter. But to understand the closing of the chapter, you have to go back and just remember what Pastor Josh taught us. And the entire chapter 1 is simply this. The gospel's so See, you already know this, but let me just give you kind of a couple of the points here. Just take a look at the screen. I'm going to build this out for you. Chapter 1, verse 6 says this, The gospel's bearing fruit, and it's growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you. So this gospel, this good news, it's growing and spreading like crazy, and it's growing inside of you. I'm going to translate it this way. The gospel's transforming you. Then verse 9, God's filling you with the knowledge of his will. Verse 9, God's, God is giving you wisdom and understanding through the Spirit. Verse 11, God is strengthening you with all power. Verse 11, God's giving you great endurance and great patience. Verse 12, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, God rescued us from darkness Verse 13, God has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loved. Verse 14, God has redeemed or purchased your life. Next verse, God has forgiven our sins. I mean, there's like, I don't know, there's 12 things right off the bat that this is how great the gospel is. And then right in the middle of that, he shifts gears to go, it's not just the gospel that's great. He talks about how great Jesus is. He says this, Jesus, he's the image. You can see him. He's the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, all things were created. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, meaning he existed before everything, and he also exists before, like, supreme over everything else. In Jesus, all things hold together, which means this. He holds your life, my life. He holds this church. He holds this world. He actually holds our promise, and there's great comfort in that. He holds your problems. Not just your good life, but where you're struggling today, he holds that. And I hope that gives you comfort. He's the head of the body, the church. All of God's fullness dwells in Jesus. I mean, Paul, he's on a rant. I mean, I'm not just the one ranting on this. I think Paul is just ranting on this. And by the way, he's not done. He gets to verse 21 and he comes back to the theme of how great the gospel is. He says this, verse 21, once you were alienated when you were enemies of God, but now God has reconciled you back to relationship with himself. Verse 22, God presents you holy in his sight, remade you without blemish, and God remade you free from accusation. That's how great the gospel is. I mean, look at it. This is just chapter one. 
We got all kinds of chapters still left. This is what the gospel is. This is the good news. This is how great Jesus is. This is if you're a believer, this is how how you get to live. This changes how we sing, changes how we pray, and it changes how we sacrifice. I think all of this comes from the death and the resurrection of Christ and his continued presence in our life. And then Paul I think he shouts through the quill of his pen. In verse 23, he says, and this is the gospel that you heard. He's like, all of this, this is the gospel. We should be struck by how amazing it is. But the the reality is, it's like some of us have been Christians too long. I know you can't really say that. Like, that's like, you can't be a Christian too long. No, I mean, sometimes we've been a Christian so long that we, we forget. We forget how good the gospel is really is. Have we forgotten how good it is to be in the kingdom of light? Have we forgotten how bad the darkness really is? Don't move. If you're thinking about going to the bathroom, hold it. For those of you watching online, there's not a problem with your TV or computer We just turned the lights out, and it's pretty dark in here. Have you forgotten? Have we forgotten what it's like to try and walk around in darkness? First of all, the darkness is lonely. You're surrounded by a lot of people right now in this room, but you can feel like you are all alone. The darkness is chaotic. If you've ever tried to move in darkness, plan your path, you are unsure of where to go next, don't move. You'll get hurt. The darkness is confusing. When we talk about not just darkness in a room, but darkness in our lives, it's impossible to figure out our next steps. The darkness is suffocating. There's no security. There's no peace. It creates this sense that we got to get away. And there's some people in this room right now, you're being really, really good sports of not like freaking out. But there are some people panicking right now. Because the darkness is super, super uncomfortable because we don't have control in the dark. Let's turn the lights back on. Have you forgotten? Have we forgotten how bad the darkness really is? Because I'm not talking about light in a room, right? I'm talking about, first of all, spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness, it's this. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 11 says it like this. But anyone who hates a brother or sister, they're in darkness. And they walk around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Maybe hatred was your darkness. Do you remember what it was like before Jesus had control of your life? Do you remember what it was like before you were forgiven and the shame and the guilt that was in you? Maybe guilt was your darkness. Maybe lust was your darkness. Maybe selfishness was your darkness or revenge or maybe just ignorance. You just didn't know. Have we forgotten how bad the darkness is? Because it's not just spiritual darkness. Can I bring this up? There's an eternal darkness. This eternal darkness is reserved for those who reject Jesus. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says it this way. These people, and Peter's specifically referring to people who pretend to be spiritual, but they lead people away from Jesus. He says, these people, what is reserved for them is the blackest darkness. He's talking about hell. That it is a darkness where all those words, loneliness, chaos, confusion, pain, 
all exist, but not for temporary, for eternity. Have we forgotten how bad the darkness is? There's an eternal darkness which will belong to the destiny of those people who reject Jesus. I tell you that simply because of this. I want to be reminded that the gospel is so, you almost forgot. Don't, don't let me down. This is the magic fingers, right? The gospel's so, yes. The gospel's so great, it's worth our. Paul then writes this. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, this is the gospel that you heard. And if you drop down just a little bit, it says, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This gospel that I just spent 22 verses telling you how amazing and how great and how wonderful and powerful it is. This amazing gospel, he says this, I, I'm a servant. I I make sacrifices as the servant for the gospel. See, Paul, he's a veteran. He's a veteran of God's kingdom who makes sacrifices for the mission that God has called him to. So Paul, he's about to describe the sacrifices that he's made. And he starts with this. He says, first of all, I want you to know this. Every time I make a sacrifice, it's a sacrifice of joy. Do you know where he wrote this letter? From prison. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice. Now I have joy. I write this with a smile on my face in what I am suffering for you, for your sake. There actually is a scripture where Paul details all the suffering he's gone through, all the sacrifices he's made. It's actually found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Don't turn there. Just listen to this for a moment. This is his resume of suffering. He says, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That means like at 40, you probably should die. But instead, he was whipped 39 lashes. And that happened to him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger... This is like a country song. In danger from false believers, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else, as if that's not enough. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Do you know what that means? It means this, all the sacrifices I've made, I look at the churches, the places where I'm writing to, the places where I've planted churches, and I just don't know. I just don't know if they're getting it. Are they growing? Are they being transformed? Is that church thriving? Are people getting how great the gospel really is? And he writes this from a prison cell, and he says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for your sake. If I can just point this out, God doesn't want our begrudging sacrifice. God doesn't want a sacrifice of complaint. If we understand how great the gospel is, then our sacrifice and our service comes with a smile on our face. It's our joy. Then Paul writes this, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. Let me read that again because it's a little confusing. You ready? And I fill up in my body what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Maybe his death on the cross, maybe. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Do you know what this means? I have no idea. And let me make this clear. I've read all the commentaries. I know the three views of what this could possibly mean. When I say I don't really know what it means, I'm not convinced that actually one of the definitions of what this means, one of the interpretations, actually stands above the other. Here's what I think this actually means. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when Jesus died on the cross that there was something lacking in that sacrifice that can't save us. Everything we need to have Jesus save us and be Lord of our lives and direct us and guide us. All of that happened on the cross. That whole thing, there's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing Paul can add to it. But I think what Paul is saying, because it's in the context of how he's serving, I think he's saying this, Christ did all that, it's available to us, but we live in a world that doesn't recognize how great the gospel is. Therefore, we make sacrifices to fill up in our flesh the beatings, the shipwrecks, all the things that he went through. He's like, my body feels what it is that I'm adding so that other people can find Christ and mature in him. I think that's what it means. This sacrifice, number two, point number two, the sacrifice is so that others can discover Christ. I think that's what he's talking about. Look at verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. The Gentiles. It's a reference to people who didn't know who Jesus was, that didn't grow up in this Jewish community, wouldn't understand all the promises in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled them. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the mystery? That people who are super far from God can come to God in Jesus and Christ can live in their life. Paul sacrifices so that others can discover Christ. And then once they do, listen to his next sacrifice. He sacrifices so others can be transformed to maturity. Once you become a Christian, you know what that makes you? It makes you a baby Christian, right? (laughs) And we all got to grow up. And you can't identify a baby Christian by age. Because there's some 90-year-old baby Christians. They might have been Christians for 10 years, but they've never done anything to mature. Their character's still lacking. They still fly off the handle in rage. They're still insecure. He, he writes this in verse 28. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You know what, when I read this, sometimes I go, man, Paul's one of a kind. I mean, there's no way you and I are ever going to replicate his sacrifice. And I agree. There's no way that you and me on our ability are ever going to make the kind of sacrifices that Paul did. And you know what's interesting? This is how he concludes his message in chapter 1, talking about how it's actually not his own strength. Look at verse 29. To this end, helping people discover Christ and helping them grow to maturity. This mission I'm on, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Where does he get his energy from? Where does he get his power from? Where does he get this drive from? It's from from Jesus. It's from Christ who's living in him. He's like, I can't make all the, I can't be whipped or beaten that many times and keep going. 
He's like, it's Christ in me. Look at me. I'm calling us to sacrifice because Paul called us to sacrifice because Jesus called us to sacrifice. I'm calling us to sacrifice today. Will we be the kind of church that makes a sacrifice because the gospel's so great? But if you think it's under your power, your sacrifice is going to be a miserable existence. I want you to discover the joy of the sacrifice for this gospel that is so great. I mean, this is Paul's message. Here it is. The gospel, so it's worth our, that's the message. So here's what I want to do. I want to take the remaining few minutes of our time together to focus what it really means for you and I to make a sacrifice together. And I'm going to be blunt. Now, let me give you a quick disclaimer. Um, I know that there's people in the room that you believe that the church is after your money. And it's actually not true. The, the reality is, is we're after your heart because that's what God is after. And I just know this, when my heart was grabbed by Jesus, it took a little while. But my generosity followed because I finally understood that the gospel's so great. It's worth my sacrifice. Let me give you two things that I think every believer should sacrifice. Here's the first one. We sacrifice our time. And you can ask this in two ways. One is this. What talent, skill, or passion do you have? What are you good at? What do you, what do you love? What fills your soul? And whatever that is, would you do that for Jesus' kingdom? Spreadsheets might be your passion. Figure out how to do spreadsheets for Jesus. Maybe you love building stuff. I mean, you're like, well, if I can work with my hands, it's just, maybe you're like, you know what? Uh, here's my spiritual gift. I'm a people person. People love me. I'm just, I'm, I'm a people person. Just good with them. I encourage them. Then go encourage people. But find a place where you can do that. Because what good does it do to go, I'm such a good encourager? Question, who have you encouraged? Like, where do you do that in the church? So the first question is, what talent, skill, or passion do you have? Um, the second question is this. What does the church currently need as a part of life transformation? This is the mission of our church, right? Displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. So what does this church currently need so that people's lives can be transformed? Um, I'll be real honest with this. Here it is. Uh, we need people that will dig in on our kids' ministries. We need people who will volunteer for middle school ministry. And we need people who will volunteer for our high school ministry. Um, Maggie, you may have never met her. She's never in this room. She's our middle school director. Uh, Maggie has a full-time job, and it's not here. She works a full-time job at another place, and then she works part-time for us. And you know, our middle school ministry, you've often heard, hey, they're going to summer camp. Hey, they're going to winter camp. You'll never hear this from Maggie, but I'm going to brag about her for a minute because at her other job, she saves up her vacation time so that come winter time and summertime, she can take our kids to camp. She's not. She's sacrificing vacations, time away for mental health, time away to visit people so she can hang out with 11 and 12-year-olds. I know some of you are like, where's the line to sign up? You can figure out how to sign up. 
if I'm really, really honest with you, all three of those ministries, kids, middle school, high school, we've limped along for quite a while. Can I tell you why? Because when we switched gears, um, we have one service in this room because we want you all together. And our kids and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, they all meet during this hour, which means this. You're not going to be able to be here if you're out there. Can I just tell you that we have the same people leading those kids' classrooms, and they watch the service online during the week. I'm going to ask some of you, make a sacrifice once or twice a month. Dig into a kid's classroom. By the way, you got to be at least decent with kids. If you're like, I hate kids, that ain't the ministry for you. We don't want you in there. We ain't that desperate. But for some of you, like, you'd do great. I just wonder if we've been relying on everyone else to take care of these kids and do this, and it's the same people. I mean, I could brag about Evan and Rachel Cooper. They've been doing high school ministry for years. They save up their vacation time so they can go on a houseboat trip with kids, and I don't think they would say they're sacrificing. They're like, it's so great. You get to drive kids behind a boat and wreck them. It's fantastic. But their kids are about ready to go into high school. So they're going to step out so their kid can have a space where their parents not always there with them, right? Who's going to take their place? Would you, for a Sunday or two a month, sacrifice this time so that you can be there and then you can watch the service online? I mean, the gospel's so great, it's worth our sacrifice. There's all kinds of ways to sacrifice. But as a part of a family, you, you know this, right? I mean, you've experienced this where your family gets together for a meal. I think there's kind of a big meal coming up, right? Called Thanksgiving. Could you imagine if at the end of Thanksgiving, and maybe this does happen in your house and you're still mad about it, where half the crew gets up or three of the people get up to do dishes and everybody else is like, wow, so good. In my family, if you family, you get your butt up. And you start helping to clean up. I think the church is like this big Thanksgiving feast where everybody's sitting around like, oh, and 10% of the people are doing all the work. Now, okay, forgive me if I'm being derogatory. I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to be super honest so that there's change and transformation in this church. I think sacrificing our time, it's worth it because the gospel's so great. And the gospel's so great that we might also sacrifice the second thing. It's our, it's our wealth. And again, I'm going to be really blunt about this. And um, I do know, again, disclaimer, that there's some of you that think that, man, the church is, they're a fundraising organization and you're so concerned like, oh, this is one of those messages. I shouldn't have come on this Sunday because you're going to say sacrifice our wealth. I'm like, yeah, because I think the gospel's worthy of it. Um, here's the truth. You might not know me or know us well enough to trust us. And by the way, if you're new to this church, don't give. I would say this, get to know us so that you know what you're giving to, so you know that your investment is actually going to make a difference and how it's making a difference. But for those of you that do know us, here's what I think the sacrifice is. I think it's giving of our wealth. Why do we sacrifice our wealth? Can I just give you four quick things? They're not your notes. If you want to write them down, write these down. Here's the first one, gospel advancement. We give for the mission. We give so we can accomplish a vision. We can, we can actually accomplish the thing that God has called us to because it doesn't happen fun-free. 
Second, obedience to joyful generosity. The scriptures talk about this. Give joyfully and generously. Do it with a smile on your face. The third is this. Trust God rather than our ability. I think it's so easy to depend upon the margin in our bank account. And it's awesome when the water heater goes out and you're like, oh, the water heater went out. What are we going to do? Actually, we're going to buy a new one. We're going to pay a plumber and we're going to put it in. Big deal. It's just money. But when you don't have that margin, then you're like, margin is fantastic. But what happens when we give so that we say, God, I'm trusting you to provide in the future. Fourth thing, honor God for all he does. Matt mentioned this in our offering time where he's like, listen, we don't even own it. God owns it all. We're honoring him with our wealth. So here it is. For gospel advancement, obedience, trust God, honor God. But if we don't understand how great the gospel is, then making a sacrifice, it feels like a chore rather than an honor. And I've honestly, I've chosen the word sacrifice intentionally. And I want you to know why. It's because of how Jesus taught it. He's sitting at the temple with his disciples all around, and they're just sitting there watching people. It's a true story, Luke chapter 21. There are people watching at the temple. And these rich people come by, and they drop off their tithes. You know what that means, right? It means 10% of whatever they got. 10% equals a tithe. That's what the word means. And so they're bringing their tithes, and all the rich people put in their tithes. And then here comes this woman. I don't know if she's limping, but it adds to the story. And she puts in these two copper coins. Uh, Let me just read it to you so you can trust me on this. Luke chapter 21, verse 2. Jesus also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And Jesus draws this conclusion. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. The disciples are like, two copper coins. The rich people put in a tenth of what Jesus... um, No, she didn't. The rich people put in more. And I think Jesus is making the point. He doesn't measure off the amount. He measures off the sacrifice. Uh Uh-oh. And see, I, I don't speak this to you as someone who's got it all figured out. See, my family and I, we always give 10%, and then we go above and beyond that for causes. But here's what makes me uncomfortable. Have I sacrificed anything this year? Because of the giving of my wealth? My Amazon account of all the things I've ordered would tell you otherwise. I haven't gone without anything. I actually have an awful lot of stuff I don't really need. And so this makes me uncomfortable too. But I think we need to be uncomfortable just for a little while to ask if this gospel's so great, is it worth our sacrifice? So here's what I'm going to invite you to. Two things. Sacrifice for life transformation. That term life transformation, uh, let me also say it this way. It's, we call it our general fund. This is what supports the ministry here at Church on the Hill. I'll say it this way. About a month ago, I was walking right through the lobby this direction, and uh, a guy walking towards me, I probably haven't had more than one significant conversation with this person in, in the years that I have known him, and I walked by, I was like, hey, how you doing? And he looks at me and he says, I'm expecting, I was expecting what you all say, right? If I ask that, uh, good, how you doing? Right? 
And he looks at me, he goes, amazing. My life has totally been transformed. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he goes, I'm doing amazing. My life is totally transformed with a smile and grin on his face. I was like, oh, this is crazy. I said, well, well tell me about that. He said, well, when you guys did the church reimagined series and you were talking about tattered Bibles, he goes, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Christian school, but I realized as an adult, I feel like I know the scriptures, but I'm not reading them so that God can transform me. He goes, so three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I, I just started reading the Bible. He goes, you know how you, you can watch on your app, on your phone, how much time you spend on each of your apps? If you don't know that, it's horrifying. It's horrifying how much you're on Facebook or YouTube watching veteran soldiers come home videos, right? He goes, actually, my average every day is sometime between like 45 minutes to an hour and 10 minutes of just reading the Bible on my phone. He and I, I'm like, this is way more than like a lobby conversation can hold. Let's get lunch. We went to lunch. We spent three hours. We started at a restaurant, ended up back at his house for another hour. Three hours. I got to hear his life transformation story. There was a significant wounded relationship in his life that God healed him of. And I'm not going to tell you his whole story because um, I want him to tell you his story. Um, I'm hoping I can talk him into um, sharing it uh, November 30th. It's actually a Wednesday night. It's going to be our next church reimagined night where we're going to talk about the vision and we're going to talk about the sacrifices that we make to make this mission and vision possible. And so mark your calendars, November 30th. We're going to celebrate the transformation that God's been doing in, in multiple people's lives. And we're talking about how we move forward in this. But when I listened to his story, he said, you know, I'm actually fully present for my family and my kids right now. In a way, I never have been. My anger is gone. And I was like, is he just full of it? So I went to his wife. I was like, hey, listen, I'm hearing this story from your husband. Is it true? She goes, it's ridiculously true. He's been changed. Can I just say this? That doesn't happen without your generosity and sacrifices to support this ministry. That came because this ministry on the hill still runs. And we got to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God's transforming words. And someone took it seriously. And their life, and I think their family, is different today because of it. Um. You'll notice this, that I actually put a price tag on it, uh, $135,000. <laughs> I know that's weird. Let me just explain that. And I'm going to dig more into this November 30th, that Wednesday night. That's why I want you to come to this. I want you to have a better understanding of this. But for our time allotted, I'm going to run out of time to do this. Um, at the end of October, beginning of November, our, our church, budget-wise, this has been a tough economy this year, Right? This last week, Meta laid off 11,000 workers right here in the Bay Area. It's been a tough economy, so that's going to be reflected, and in, in people might give less, or they might hold on to more, or stock gifts might be down. I, I, I fully get this. But at the end of October, we're about $62,000 behind. And if that trend continues, we're going to be about $135,000 behind by the end of the year, which will change how we do life transformation Going forward, we don't want to limit anything. We have this new vision that we're trying to move full steam ahead on. And so I'm just inviting you. Would you sacrifice for life transformation? Let me give you the second sacrifice because here's what's funny. We could all just pause and circle the wagons and be like, okay, let's take care of the church. Let's take care of us. I was tempted to when I thought about this last August. 
and we're not going to. We're going to still invest in people who are not part of the hill through what we call village transformation. We believe that God's invited us to this community in Guatemala where we're going to transform a village. It's a three-year process. It starts year one by giving them drinking water. They go to, currently, they go to a stream to fill up buckets and bring it back every single day, maybe a couple times a day. They need water, and they need a filtration system so they're not drinking bad water. Year two is we're going to build a, a school there so that the kids have a place where they can, they can go and learn. I believe that education is, is one of those things that will release people from the bondage of poverty. And the third is this. We're going to help build a church there. And we're going to build a pastor's house so that they always have a pastor there to be the spiritual light and encouragement to them. So phase one, here it is. It's $35,000. Hey, did you show the, the picture of just what water transformation looks like? Keep going. That's just one of the villages. Look at that kid's face for a minute. That's joy. And that's the power of a church. This is a, a picture from a church, from a, from a group in Guatemala where a church went in and put in a fresh water system. In 2023, we want to tackle phase one. This would be $35,000. Can I just be really honest? We, we could solve this this week. We could solve it this month. I want to solve both these things. Because the gospel's so great, it's worth our sacrifice. So I will not be shy about saying, hey, let's, let's make this happen. I can't tell you how fun it is to be on the ground in moments like that. We have an elder in our church. His name is Augie Walter. Augie, stand up for just a sec. I just want you guys to see Augie for a moment. He's a great guy, good elder for our church. Turn around, let everybody see it. Give a little wave. Augie. Augie's retired, but what I've learned is that he is not tired. This guy is getting after it in his retirement years. He brought it to our attention during the COVID time that he's connected to um, an, a ministry organization in East India called Reaching Hands Society. They work with some of the poorest people in India. And during the COVID season, Augie said, would, would Church on the Hill give a gift to this group of people? Because the small businesses are collapsing. And if, if they collapse, the problem is they have no other choice. The government will not help them out. They have to go to what's known as the loan sharks. The problem is this, the interest is so high that within a month or two, they will find themselves in prostitution or bonded servanthood, also known as slavery. So we gave them money. This summer, Augie went there and he was there and he'd walk in the streets and meeting people and seeing stuff in the ministry. And someone said, church on the hill, and this woman's face perked up. She came over to Augie with tears in her eyes, got on her knees and touched his feet as a symbol of respect and honor and appreciation because it was her business that was saved. She's not in bondage today. She's not in debt today because her small business you gave to it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know who benefited from that was Augie. I got to experience this. He's like, he told me this. He goes, I didn't know how popular church was in East India. Let me say that again. I don't know. How, I didn't know how popular church on the hill was in East India. He goes, our name and reputation is amazing there because of you. And what it was that was given there. So 
Here's my point. I think that everyone loves sacrifice when it's for a worthy cause. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul persuades us this. The gospel is so, it's worth our, let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's absorb that for just a moment. I just want to allow God to speak to you about your own sacrifice of time and wealth. I realize this can be uncomfortable, but there's so much joy in seeing people's lives transformed that this moment of uncomfortability, it's worth it. Would you honestly assess if you're investing the gospel of Jesus Christ. To end in prayer, I want to read Paul's final words from the chapter. And maybe this is our prayer, or pray in such a way that this would be true of us. Paul writes this, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. God, would you make this true of our church? To this end, we strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. God, would you make this true of me? To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And all God's people said, amen.